Thank you, Leslie. Good morning. Try it again. Good morning. All right. Very good. I, nine o'clock was much more awake than y'all. So it is good to be here this morning. It is good that we can worship together and uh, spend time in God's Word and in prayer together today. Uh, before I dive in, I, I do want to remind you of our Christmas Eve services coming up on Christmas Eve uh, at 4 and 6 p.m. And last year was the first year that we were able to uh, host them here in Shawnee, and that was kind of out of necessity. And uh, and one of the things that uh, we realized out of that, it, it enabled us uh, to invite some of our neighbors and family that maybe would not be able to drive to the city where we would normally do that. And so we want to encourage you uh, to please uh, pick up some of these cards as you exit and invite your neighbors around you, invite your friends, and invite your family uh, to be uh, come and take part and worship with us on Christmas Eve. All right, uh, before we begin, let's pray. I'll pray for you if you'll pray for me, and we'll dive into God's Word this morning. Uh, Lord, we do thank you. Uh, we thank you for uh, the gift of your Word and that we can uh, spend time in it, and we can uh, be molded by it, and we can be shaped and formed by it, and that, uh, Lord, we're, we're just in awe of how you love us, uh, that you came down uh, from heaven to earth uh, to save us, uh, to be Emmanuel, uh, to dwell with us, and, and to uh, um, Set up your kingdom, your church, uh, Lord. Uh, we just stand in awe of that this morning. And, and Lord, uh, and we rest, uh, joyfully rest in that today as we uh, step into your word and, and look at what it means to follow after you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning, as we do continue in Advent, it is the third Sunday Advent, which is uh, joy. Uh, the traditional uh, Sundays of Advent are uh, hope, peace, joy, and love. And so as we walk through those over the next, as we've been walking through those, and as we continue to walk through those, one of the things that we're realizing is that uh, a lot of you, like me, grew up in a tradition that possibly didn't uh, celebrate Advent or walk through Advent. And so uh, Advent is simply a season of waiting, uh, waiting and anticipating uh, and longing. And so as we walk through that, uh, we want to remember uh, uh, all that uh, the Israelites had walked through. And we have to remember that it had been 400 years since God's people had heard from God when, when Jesus came. And, and so they had been awaiting a long, long time. And so as we walk through these weeks, 
and, and it is hard to believe it's already the third week of Advent. Uh, but as we walk through those, we need to sit in that and remember, because uh, we're probably all getting impatient for uh, Christmas Day to get here. Imagine the anticipation they had at the coming birth of the Messiah. And we, we want to walk through that, and we want to walk through this season and celebrate and thank God for the birth of Christ. But also, as we walk through this season, we want to longingly wait for his second coming. Because he has promised to come again. And today, we want to look at that and see how we can do that in joy. And last week, uh, as we've been talking about exile, Ben taught us about uh, the Israelites' exile in Egypt. And today, we're going to be looking at their exile in Babylon. And, uh, and as, so as we dive into that today, a couple of things I want us to, to uh, look at and examine and see how it relates to us today is, uh, first of all, their captivity, their bondage, and exile. And second, God's promise to them. And before we jump into that, uh, a little bit about Jeremiah and a little bit about the book uh, of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And in, uh, one of the reasons he's known is that for him literally weeping over Jerusalem and weeping over the, the people of Israel because uh, in the book, uh, the book is a... And so there's a lot about destruction and exile and, and the fall of uh, the Israelites into idol worship again. And so it's dark days for God's people. Uh, and so, uh, and they were held again uh, as aliens and strangers in a foreign land. In Israel, idolatry was rampant. They were worshiping to other gods. They were sacrificing to other gods. Uh, they had broken covenant with God again. They were putting other gods before him. They had abandoned their first love. And it was so corrupt in the land of Israel that even the priests, the prophets, and the kings had all become corrupt. There was rampant social injustice. We hear a lot about that now but it was rampant at that time as well. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, so, uh, but widows, orphans, and immigrants were all disregarded and not cared for. And in Jeremiah 7, it's known as a temple sermon, a Jeremiah uh, calls out God's people for sacrificing to idols outside of the temple and going into the temple and worshiping God. Uh, they were trying to have it both and. They were trying to worship other gods and worship Yahweh as well. And so they were, they were having other gods other than God. And even to the point of child sacrifice. They were sacrificing children to some of those gods. Jeremiah prophesies of their destruction from Babylon. In chapter 25, he, he announces that Nebuchadnezzar will come 
And he will seize Jerusalem and take them into exile for 70 years. In chapter 28, Hananiah falsely prophesies that Israel would only be there two years. And because he deceived God's people and made them trust a lie, he was removed from the face of the earth and died. That's the last couple of verses of chapter 28. In chapter, the letter in chapter 29 is a response to that false prophecy. And that's where we want to pick up. We want to look at the words that Leslie just read and who they're written to. Jeremiah 21, verses 1 through 4. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent to Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah, Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gamaria, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to, whom, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who is he sent? Not everyone is gone. There are still people living uh, in Jerusalem. There's quite a few people still living in Jerusalem. But he has sent the priests, the prophets, the kings, the officials, the craftsmen, and the metal workers. Uh, Those people in leadership have all been exiled to Babylon. And they were living in Babylon. And it's not, uh, and God makes it clear who sent them. It was him, the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God who sent them into exile. And that seems harsh, and that sounds harsh, uh, but we have to remember the Israelites continually broke covenant with the covenant God. And, and, and those whom he loves, he will discipline. So once again, he has sent them into uh, bondage. And we also have to remember where there, are, where there are curses, there are also blessings. And, and we also have to remember that God is sovereign and is faithful even when we're not. Let's continue. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf 
For on its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they prophesy that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now the one, Yahweh, the one who sent them into exile, is now charging them not to really live there, to flourish, to not just exist, but to flourish and to grow there. They're not to sit idly by, and they're not to w- just to sit around and wait for their rescue, but to lay roots, to build families, and actively seek the welfare of the city. And, and, and remember, he's, he's telling them to do this in the city of those who destroyed their city and their temple where they met with God. I don't know about you, but to me, this seems backwards. <laughs> it seems backwards for God to, take, to destroy their city and take them to another city and then encourage them to live and flourish there. But in God's economy, in their waiting, in their time of exile, By them flourishing, it brings them joy. Even in a hard season, even in a time that they can't imagine and realize and see what God is doing. And they're supposed to love, pray for, and care for, and seek the welfare of this city. And this is totally aligned with what Jesus commands us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, where we're to uh, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And we're to do that so that we may be called sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 44 and 45. And if I was in their shoes, I couldn't imagine uh, how difficult this must have been to pray for and work for the good of the city that had invaded Israel and destroyed the temple. But it's exactly what God has done for us. We spurned him in the beginning, and we sinned against him daily. Yet he came to us in Christ anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Commanding Israel to work for the good of the city and for the city of their enemies was a sign that God himself was working for the good of his own enemies. Sinful humanity. You and I. And I can only imagine right now you're thinking, I'm not seeing the joy. (laughs) We haven't got there yet, but we're getting there. God's promises to them. 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place which I sent you into exile. God promises his people to bring them back home in verse 10. And on the heels of this is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. In verse 11, uh, and first and foremost, uh, 11 through 14 is a promise that God is sovereign and that he will bring his people back to a place that he had promised their fathers. He isn't abandoning the people he made his covenant with. The day is coming when he will restore his people. The ultimate promise God makes is in the plans for welfare and not for evil to give a future and a hope. And this is the promise of the Messiah stretching all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and the seed of woman crushing the head of the serpent. In Jesus, we call upon the Lord and we seek and find the Lord. In Jesus, Israel, God's people, and all of humanity is restored. This is first a promise to Israel, the people to which the Messiah comes. It is also a promise to the entire world. In verse 14, God says, He will bring back His people the people of Israel, from all the places he had sent them. But in Christ, God restores and gathers the peoples of all nations from every tongue to be restored. These promises are God's sovereignty were first made to the Jews, but now belong to every nation through Jesus. And that's good news for you and I. That's good news. That'd be a good place for a sign, Reed. Reed said he is going to hold me up, sign. God's plan through Jesus is for the welfare of the entire world. As Christ is its first fruits of the new creation, everything will be restored and made new. That should get an amen. Everything will be restored and made a made new. Yeah. And this is also a promise to the hope of those of us who are in Christ. It doesn't mean that life will be easy, that everything's gonna be smooth sailing and great. Uh any of us who have any life experience at all. Uh, 
can confirm that life can be hard and often is hard. Life in Jesus doesn't mean that we escape life's problems, but it means that God is with us and he is our eternal reward. He promises that in seeking we will find him through his spirit, God is with us. Our fortune, our standing with God is restored in the finished work of Jesus. So how does all of this relate to us today? Our challenge today is just like the Israelites, we were also in bondage. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 says it this way, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of our body, of the body, and of the mind, and were by nature children of, of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he, in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. He rescued Israel and brought them back out of captivity again. And what he did for us was greater because we were dead. And he made us alive in him. But, and like the Israelites, like they lived in exile, we also living are living in a broken world that is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And so how do we live here? Wherever you are, wherever God has you, be fully present. Be all in. If God has you in this community, the community of Shawnee, and you're obviously here today, and it's no accident that you're here. Uh, pray for that city. Pray for that community. Pray for the leaders. Uh, pray that his kingdom come here in this community as it is in heaven. Build homes and multiply. A realtor in the room would say, buy homes and multiply. Really live your life sacrificially. Uh, or live your life in a way as unto the Lord that would bring glory unto God. 
And likewise, if you're a member of this church, be all in. By the way, church is a community. Pray for the church. Pray for the lost. Pray for the membership. Pray for its leadership. Pour out your life sacrificially in prayer, serving, giving, and caring for one another. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Wherever God has placed us, He is with us. And God should define our circumstances, not our circumstances define our God. Let me say that again. God should define our, define our circumstances, not our circumstance define our God. At times and seasons, we're going to be in hard places. And in times and seasons, we're going to be on mountaintops. Those times and seasons cannot define our God. Our God has to define those times and seasons. God is with us. His spirit dwells within us. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because of God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. And there's where our true joy lies. In his presence, the presence of God. And not only are we promised that presence now, we're promised that presence eternally. Revelations 3, 19 through 22. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit, on, sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. We're promised his presence now and eternally. And by the way, that throne you get to sit down on with him, go read chapter 4 of Revelation. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And finally, I want to leave us with these verses from Lamentations 3. Lamentations also written by the prophet Jeremiah. And up to... Three twenty. There's been nothing good said. A lament about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, up to this point. And beginning in verse twenty-one. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And we can wait expectantly. Because we have assurance that God is new every morning. And his love and his mercies never end. And through that we can rest in true hope, peace, and joy. Pray with me please.